This episode is brought to you by the crime thriller The Signatory by Stuart Black. Stuart Black weaves a gripping narrative that explores the lengths to which people will go to protect their fortune and the high-stakes world of corporate crime that is most often hidden from view. Head to stuartblack.com.au and grab your copy. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V. From all of us in the writing community, we just think we're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been living with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm Uh. feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Today, I welcome a return guest. It's been a while, though, JP Pomare. He writes page-turning thrillers, including Call Me Evie, In the Clearing, Tell Me Lies, The Wrong Woman, and The Last Guests. Today, we're going to talk about his brand new book, Home Before Night. Welcome, JP. It's been a while. How are you doing? Hello, I'm good. Thanks for having me back on. Oh, it's nice well, to have you. Every time feels like the last time, you know, it's like well, for everything, they're like, will they ever let me talk again? <laughs> but you keep writing these incredible books. It's just insane. So we're going to talk about that. But hit me with an elevator pitch for your new one. Um, so uh, it's about a, well, I guess it's about a woman in a relationship with her son. Um, a snap lockdown has been announced and everyone has to stay where, wherever it is that they are, 8 o'clock that night. So sort of New Zealand-style snap lockdown. And um, Lou begins to grow a bit paranoid when she doesn't hear from her son and he doesn't turn up at home. Um, And then she begins to sort of investigate from confines of her small two-bedroom apartment. Um, And, um, yeah, I guess any any further and I start to give things away. But um, (laughs) We don't want to do that. No, no. So I, I guess I say it's twisty and, yes, it's a, it's a lot shorter and faster, probably more pacey than my usual stuff. So, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun to write. Okay. When you say a lot shorter, what are we talking word count-wise compared to the others? Um, well, it's probably generally sort of around 80,000, 70 to 80,000 words. Okay. This is close to sort of 45 to 50, really yeah. short. Okay, wow. Mm. Right. So almost novella territory, but, um, yeah, 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 it's mm. a lot. Quite a bit shorter yeah pacey though definitely pacey now it is a book about a mother and son tell me about the dynamic of mother and son because you've written about different sort of familial relationships before what about this one yeah um well this one's about a uh a slightly overprotective mother she's um samuel her son is, is, is basically all she's got um and he's doing i, I think as far as the reader's concerned, he's doing his best to kind of keep that relationship. Um, well, to, not, to, to to sort of, he wants to branch out. He's got a girlfriend and he's got his own life. But he also, I think, acknowledges and appreciates the position his mum's in and tries to keep her happy and always on side. And I think, you know, I've had friends 
like this and you know um in terms of the, the son whose mother's really you know doesn't let him go out much and, to, and wants to and wants to sort of him to stay as a little boy and i guess it's a pretty common trope that um but you know he's growing up and he's really clever he's at university he's got a girlfriend he's learning about the world um he's pretty uh precocious um or always has been anyway he's always been pretty advanced and yeah he, he's just out there living his life um and obviously um he's doing things that she doesn't know about as well <laughs> so it's it's a but, <laughs> but it sounds like she's got some secrets of her own as well that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's a crime thriller. It's uh, it's it's ne the never straightforward. She, you know, there, there's reasons she is the way she is. Um, I like to make sure in my books, uh, whether or not I achieve this, I'm not sure, but I, I always endeavour to uh, have some sort of traceable um, behaviour. You know, like uh, I, I like to think it's on the page or in the story why all my characters are the way they are um and so you learn about Lou and you learn about her history and you learn why she is the way she is um but she does have secrets everyone's got secrets mm. and she's concerned that um one of her secrets might have resurfaced let me put it that way mm -hmm. love it now very familiar five kilometer radius curfews <laughs> <laughs> set in Melbourne, were you worried that people were kind of like, I've I've had enough of this? I mean, it's not the crux of the book. I guess it sets it up. There's a lot more to it. But what, what was your thinking when you were like, yeah, I'm going to write about sort of what Melbourne have been through? Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't think, I didn't really think about it too much. Maybe I should have. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just had these, I just had this like, great idea for a story and, um, and I think it, I wrote it during lockdown. I think it was a way out, you know. Mm, yeah. Um, so, I, I, you know, I do, I do write for me, but I am aware of what deadlines are coming up and what certain publishers expect from me. Um, and so I I thought this could really work. Um, I thought it would come out a lot sooner, to be honest. Um, so, so it was, you know, I think I was thinking – yeah, probably a year early <laughs> ended up coming out, but that's totally fine. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I thought, and I still believe that um, it's a it's a historical event. Yeah, absolutely. Now. And the more time that passes, the more we'll recognise it. I mean, um, this isn't to say COVID it doesn't still exist. It's not. It's not to say it's not still a problem affecting many people. Um, uh, you know, so so I wouldn't undermine or underplay the serious nature of the disease in any way, but um, the lockdowns in particular and this and the collective kind of global response to the pandemic is very much a historical kind of event. Yeah, so, this, so this is, a, I mean, in a, in a sense, this is a historical novel because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's probably the only one of mine novels that are really tethered to something big and loud that you know exactly when it happened um and again i don't have a problem with, with that as a reader or a writer i acknowledge it's some 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 readers may I, i'm not sure it may be triggering uh to go back to that time but um for me personally i, I, I really don't have a problem reading about that period as tough as it was i, I think i, I th it's almost fun you know it's almost 
like you're getting another perspective of mm. this kind of collective, um, you know, tr- I wouldn't say traumatic, but this kind of collective, really challenging um, period we all sort of went through. Yeah, you absolutely. New perspective. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I think, you know, being released a year later than you thought, I think that space is probably good, you know, because we've had space from those lockdowns. You know, like you say, COVID still exists, but I think it's, you know, more that kind of curfews and the lockdowns and the five-mile radius thing that was kind of really, you know, it, it sort of induced a bit of panic amongst us, like, well, this must be really serious. So I think a bit of space from that, you can go back and read it without being in it again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Like I said, it's, it's it makes it a sort of historical thing, you mm, know. Absolutely. Well, it is. It's part of massive history globally, you know. So yeah. it'll be. It's it's one of those things that you know people will go back to, or our kids will go back to because they experienced it as a kid, and then go back to and go, oh, I remember that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. I mean, it's so so culturally significant um, mm. now. You know, like as much as a war or something like that. You yeah, know, just... totally. Global yeah. impact. Absolutely. Certainly now, the biggest thing that's happened in my lifetime anyway. So, Yeah. Yeah. Probably same actually. Now you write just these incredibly page turning stories. And every time I read one of your books, I'm like, Oh, how did you come up with this? But you seem to come up with this great idea, but great ideas alone sort of aren't enough because you need to pad them out with all these different side plots and characters and things have got to happen. So how does it, I mean, it might be different for every book, but how does it emerge for you? Because I just seem to be so impressed with this idea that you have, which is so good, and then you still manage to, you know, write, it seems from the outside fairly quickly, it may not feel that way for you. So tell me about that sort of process from great idea to, to book, because that's hard, right? The great idea is the great idea, but then transforming that into a book, that's the hard part, or is yeah. it? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I do write quickly, um, and I think I have more ideas than I have time to write them. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes they work better than others, you know. Like sometimes I, I feel like I, th- I think it's that the the story drive, the narrative drive, you know, the story engine or whatever they call it. It's um, in the absence of that, I, I'll, I'll just draw from as many sources as possible, just continually trying to make it work. But sometimes the from those early drafts, it's got this real narrative drive. It's I, I, I sense a purpose almost to the story, or a um, or this there's something right at the heart of it that I can always refer back to. If I stare mm-hmm. at it long enough, I can sort of still see what it was I loved about the original idea, and I'll sort of stick closely to that. And sometimes I don't do that. And the, the times I don't do that, um, I feel like it's a lot more work it generally takes time i blow through deadlines and i um and i just do so much sort of soul searching and just uh just a general kind of much more sort of anxious type of writing it's, it's, it's almost like i'm writing to generate ideas as opposed Ooh, okay. to just following what i have and so there's so I, so I don't write the same way every book i don't think anyone does um but i've begun to recognize a kind of distinct um, type of writing and and I'm trying to find ways to tap into that and nurture that every time. And I think it's the more time, my my theory anyway, is the more time that passes between when I have the original idea and when I write it, 
the more momentum I kind of charge into it. Mm-hmm. And so I have an idea today and I start to write it tomorrow. I haven't given it time to kind of, um, uh, what's the word, ferment? Um, percolate. Percolate, yeah. <laughs> well, just, just it's more like compost, you know. Like I, mm. I just I haven't given it the time to really kind of stew and and unlock and loosen up. And, and also I'm always just thinking about these ideas and coming back to them. And then sometimes two will just clash together and I'll keep them. And then we've got a little clump, right? And then more ideas will kind of come that will always fit in the story. And I'm sort of doing something at the moment. I have been for the last couple of years for another story. Um, that's almost boiling over. I'm like, I've got to start this. So I've just sort of started outlining it with all these mm-hmm. kind of ideas. Um, but then, it does, yeah, like I said, it doesn't always work that way. If I have a, if I if, if I think I've given enough time and I haven't, I come back to that idea and dive into it, and I'm trying to generate ideas continuously while I'm writing, and it just becomes a mess. Mm. Um, those are probably the most challenging. Yeah, uh, books I've written, um, and even like like I just had a little break, so I'm like I'm going to try get stuck into this. I've had this idea for years. But no other secondary ideas, nothing else to kind of work into it. So I just like if I'll just write and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And it's just it was just so hard. I found it so much harder than my usual kind of sit down and get the words out because it's just pure invention. No, yeah, there's no sort of um, you know guiding light, no north star or whatever. There's just nothing for me to mm. kind of write towards. And and yeah. I find that although. Sometimes I produce my best work doing that. I, I do find that just so intellectually, uh, this, this sort of discomfort, you know, this, um, I don't know what the word is, just like I can't, I can't itch the scratch in my head. And it's like when you've got a word on the tip of your tongue, it's like that for eight hours a day or whatever, you know, like the entire time is, you, is excruciating because you just mm. are constantly searching. Um, so, yeah, I, do, I mean, it's I do write, quickly um but i'm with each book i seem to learn more about myself as a writer and, and learn more about um what stories i think i can identify a big story that's got legs it's got that, that engine earlier in the process mm-hmm. and those are the ones i'm really diving into at the moment mm, i love that i love what you said about writing your way into the story so even though you know those words are not going to make it to any draft it's a necessary part of the process to just keep writing to get to that point that's going to, you know, make it to the novel. Mm. Yeah, you, you, it's sort of, yeah, it's discovery. You sort of, you know, you're sort of in, the, in a snowstorm and you don't know where you're heading until you've kind of gone somewhere, you know, like it's not getting any clearer, it's not getting any easier. You just have to kind of trot on through it. Um, and eventually you might recognise something in it. And, yeah, so so, so, so it's just a... That's right, writing your way through these problems, um, all these challenges you have. But like I said, sometimes it's much easier. I think with Tell Me Lies and probably probably with this book, I can't really remember. It's uh, But I definitely, definitely with Tell Me Lies, I mean, that thing just came out really quickly and um, I quite like it. It's a fun little story. People, I think, recognise that it was an easy book to write because it's sort of everything worked in the early drafts. And so I was just... Okay. My focus was more on um, polishing it as opposed to kind of reworking the internal kind of mechanics or whatever of the story. 
It's interesting because from a reader, you get a different experience, like from a reader perspective, which is, you know, credit to the writing and the editing, et cetera, is that it's always very enjoyable and page turning to read. So you never see, even if it's complicated and a great idea, you never see the the sort of angst behind the writing because by the time it gets to us, it's, you know, it's that perfect manuscript. So it's interesting that you found some stories really easy to write and some hard, but the reader experience is the same. You know, I I talked to Jock Sarong about this once years ago. And he goes, he goes, it doesn't matter. He, he's much more eloquent than me. But <laughs> Just paraphrase. Like it doesn't matter how hard it was to write, how hard each sentence I'll excruciate over and I'll focus on. And, and at the end of the day, you realise from readers, they don't, they don't even know the difference. You know, he's like, so they don't know the parts that were really hard to write. Yeah. Or really, right? They don't, they don't know the parts that you're uncertain about or whatever. So, so He's sort of saying, um, yeah, it's, you want to be invisible. as a, Yeah, as a, yeah, right? absolutely. And I find that, you know, as a, a avid reader is that when all the writing is so good and invisible, that's when you have the best time because you're just experiencing the characters and what's happening and you can get deep into the book. Whereas, so we probably would notice if those beautiful sentences weren't there, but when they're there, they become invisible, so you can just immerse yourself in the story. So they do matter, I think. I think yeah. just subconsciously. I mean, <laughs> I would also say, just on that note, um, I used to wonder why these what, really great crime novels, I was never blown away by the language, mm. you know? And I used to wonder about that. I'm not talking about Lee Child. I'm talking about, um, oh, to, to be honest, sometimes I was blown away by, like, Gillian Flynn, but I'm talking about probably Dennis Lehane and stuff like that. Um, just really such competent, um, gripping storytellers who clearly could write really well and why they didn't imbue their work with this kind of beautiful poetic prose at any stage. There's not, there's not, there's not much in there that makes me, that ever made me stop and think about the language. Mm. Of it is. And then I realised that is that is kind of the point because yeah. in literary fiction, so much of it is you're calling on the reader to engage the art as much as the story right I, I find i'll read really beautiful literary fiction and i'm just constantly stopping i'm constantly mm. out of the story quite frankly yeah routinely by how beautiful wonderful language is which is which is honestly the last thing you want in a crime thriller yeah i think so and i think it's your expectation you know like if i read something literary i love it when i have to stop and you know screenshot a line or think about yeah. a line or post it because it's so you know beautiful it makes you just think of it Almost breathless, like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Definitely had moments of that. Perfect description. Yeah. But, but one, you tend not to have any time for that in crime fiction. And two, I I realised that um, that is knocking, that's almost breaking the floor of You know, that is almost knocking something out of the story. Totally. It is. I don't um, want that in my crime fiction, to be honest. I, you know, when I, when I, because I read multiple books at the same time. And so I think, if you do that, it's depending upon what mood you're in, right? So if you, you're after that kind of slow literary thinking, reflecting thing, you'll pick that literary book up. Mm-hmm. But if you're picking up the crime, you want some fast-paced escapism, you know? So yeah. I think I think it's about expectation when you pick up a book you too. Can, you can have really clean, beautiful prose, but I think yeah. if it crosses the threshold into just distracting, then, then, I, then, I, th- then I think it's probably doesn't enhance the reading experience. And, and honestly, you know, like... You know, I've I've been edited down, and that like I've tried something a little bit different, and it's been edited out. Um, 
and and I, yes I sort of recognize that now as well it's a slightly different reading experience <laughs> it is I think so too but put, put all those um you know edited words into the literary fiction that's probably you know in you in the next few years or so yeah, who knows? <laughs> have, a file, have a little file of just, <laughs> of beautiful words and sentences. <laughs> words I thought were good that are really actually bad. <laughs> I love that. Now I see you riding pretty solid crime writing crew going out to this, you know, beautiful retreats with other um crime writers or thriller writers. How does that help you write? Um, I think it's energizing. I, I think it's I think you there's two sides of it that I find quite helpful. One is you get this, um, well, there's the kind of camaraderie, companionship, whatever, collegiate kind of atmosphere. Um, and that gets you writing and you see other people writing and it's all about just getting words down at the end of the day. So it does really kind of fire you up for that. But two, you can really problem solve with these mm. people. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you look at a writer's room for a TV show and there's might be half a dozen people all problem solving the same plot holes, all coming yeah. up and working through snappy dialogue and and all doing stuff that you you as a novelist are called upon to do it alone. And so um, even for big picture plot stuff, um, some of my phone calls with Christian White, for instance, um, would just, he's just like, help me unlock stuff. I, I, Mike Robotham's helped me immensely to unlock elements of my story um i'd like to think i've helped other people but perhaps i haven't but but certainly <laughs> um uh, many crime writers who i've just talked to about plot even chris hammy years ago i remember we were chatting about something and billingen at a writer's festival and even in that setting like oh it's idea and chatting through it and 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 it might not even be them trying to help you in any way it's just mm, that the conversation they might make a mistake they'll be like yeah but the but the her husband's overseas what you said and like no no that was early and then you know even just stuff like that it's just having someone to talk to about um these ideas so so you do go away on these retreats and you you drink a lot of cocktails uh, <laughs> you um and you you get up every day and you write and then you can have a cup of tea and chat and then you write again and um and there's no real structure. Everyone's at different stages, right? Mm. Like it might be copy editing, someone might be whatever. I've done a couple couple of these and even a residency. Um, and it's the same sort of dynamic, but I think it works best if you're friends and you know these yeah. people. Um, yeah. Then you get that, that sort of honesty that's required to to sort of unlock. A lot of people can be a bit precious about their work, of course. And so when you get past that and you can be completely honest about you know what's working what isn't or whatever um then you can you can really help someone you can really help each other so um mm. and it's fun like i said it's fun it's mm. like i love yeah, that you just, you're alone as writers it's like we, we all just sit sit at home yeah. And that's what blows my mind. I mean, you touched on it before, but, you know, I've seen sort of a documentary or whatever on even the writer's room of The Simpsons, and there's like 10 people in the room to write an episode of The Simpsons, but then as a novelist, you're doing it alone. So I think, you know, those conversations, those cups of teas, those unlocking those ideas, I think they're really important because you don't have that for your novel generally. Yeah. Well, even, you know, because I've had some, all my stuff's been optioned and um, I've been in a couple of writer's rooms just as a consultant or whatever. And even then, you know, they're taking this a book that I wrote and unpacking it 
but there's four or five or whatever people all pulling it apart and making it better. <laughs> They're like, like, like getting the potholes. To yeah, it's like, where out. were you when I started writing this? <laughs> and it's just like, I remember I was, I was in the writer's room for the last guess and I was, and someone's like pointed a pot out. So what happened? What happened here? I couldn't I didn't understand this, but I'm like, oh, to be honest with you, that's just a plot hole. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we call a plot I'm hole. I'm like, you just fix fix those things. Um, yeah. I love that. <laughs> so it's just, you know, you've got, I before my book goes out, there's probably seven or eight people will have their hands on it at some yeah. stage. Some sort of editorial feedback, be yeah. it my agents, different publishers, yeah. different editors. Um, yeah, at least would have the fingerprints on it at some stage, but um, there's only so much you can do at different stages as mm, well. These right. come in and completely pull it apart and and just find what works and what doesn't, gets rid of what doesn't work, and and they're writing for a different medium, but they just they have to generate so much more content. So um, it's a it's an interesting kind of th- thought experiment when you are writing. <laughs> you think you know. If I had five of me, that'd <laughs> be so smash what, it. What would, what would this look like? You know, sometimes I think if I had more time, yeah. would I change the narrative structure? Would mm. I move these big pieces around? Um, and if the answer is yes, then I just ha- you just have to find the time to do it. Yeah. You know? so, anyway, that's no, really interesting. It's a really interesting um, insight, particularly in those writers' rooms for um, you know different medium. I find that fascinating. Now, I've asked you this before, JP, but you know I think sometimes the answer evolves. So, why do you write, or why do you keep writing? Um, well, I th- I think it's probably changed for me because I'm, I'm now I'm writing as much for other people as myself. You know, I probably I don't know if I said it last time. Who knows what I said. I'm writing one because it's it's my career and and it's um and I need to pay the mortgage and you know like like one is there's this very gauche unsexy kind of uh, element of the the realities of capitalism and and you know paying your bills but two more importantly I I think I'm writing for other people now I think I'm slightly more conscious of the reader for better or worse and conscious that there, there is an expectation now. I think I, I just didn't give a shit the first few books about the reader. Maybe that was better. Maybe that's a better way of doing it. But, <laughs> but, that, but they're all so different, I think. Mm, they are, absolutely. First they're all book. different, but they all have a flavour. You know, whenever I read a book of yours, I'm like, oh, my God, like another amazing idea. So, yeah, they're all very different, but they all have that JP, yeah. JP flavour, I think. I think, if anything, I I'm when you're more conscious of the reader, you want to, you still want to subvert the expectations in terms of twists, but you also don't want to let them down. And I didn't yeah. care about that at the start. I didn't okay, care. that's interesting. Yeah, more pressure now, I guess. Yeah, like from Evie to the Clearing, they're completely different books. I just didn't care about the people who loved Evie. Mm-hmm. And I probably cared more about the people who hated Evie and I wanted to write for them, which is not the way to do it, right? Whereas now I care much more about my readers than the people who don't, don't like my stuff, right? Mm. I, don't, I don't know if I'm trying to capture a new audience to do something really different every book i'm just trying to write the it's best really interesting yeah yeah mm. so i'd say that's one of the things that like that kind of keeps me coming back is um yeah the, the, the fact that it's just a real privilege to have people who wait and are excited for your next book and i want, mm. I want, I want to deliver something special for them every time 
Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. Yeah, I like how that's evolved. Well, thank you, JP. I know, um, you know, I love your work. I always have from the very beginning. So it's always really cool to chat to you again and see what you're up to. And I love hearing about, you know, your process because I feel like it does evolve and change over time. So it's been really cool to to um, hear that. And it'll be, it might be interesting to go back to, you know, when we spoke about Call Me Evie and the other novels we've written and see know. how the process has changed. It might be really fun. I can't, I can't listen to this interview tomorrow, let alone be <laughs> there. Yeah, yeah. No, I I feel you, but after sort of six hundred interviews, you just have to get over it and go. Okay, it just it is, you know, because I feel the same way. Just as a host, I'm like, oh, why did I say that? <laughs> but you think, oh well, it's said, it's been listened to, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, weird neuroticism. You, I got to kind. Of, I, I do it like I do. I do something even not on stage. You'll get off stage and be like, oh, you know, you're. <laughs> Go back to the hotel room and, <laughs> and overthink it. Yeah, <laughs> and then I just and then I think you just. I don't think I'm supposed to be in front of people talking. You know, like a, <laughs> I love that. Just, I'm just meant to be up. locked in a room writing a book. Yeah. <laughs> don't let me but, out in know, public. As fun as it, you know. I just I do think I'm like what. <laughs> who, had the, who had the genius idea of putting me in front of the crowd? Of That's so funny. Like, That's really funny because I actually think sometimes that about myself, like, oh my God, at least on the podcast, I can edit myself. In real life, that's much harder. So, <laughs> yeah. No, but, but then eventually you just insulate yourself from those things and you just, unless it's a real howler or like you've just, you've clearly gaffed or you got yourself cancelled. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I say. I just never listen to or read. It. I don't even read interviews I've given or anything. Mm-hmm. Like I just people send them to me. I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to know what I said. I <laughs> it's better that I don't know. <laughs> Always coming forward. Like I don't care what's back there. Just don't. Just keep moving me. forward. That's it. Look, it's not about. It's not about advice. I reckon. Just keep moving yeah. forward. Mm. Thank you so much again, JP. I really appreciate your time and um, you know love the book as I love all of your work. So thank you so much again. And thanks for the support as well. It's, uh, it's lovely, lovely to be back on the show.